Thank you for tuning in to First Assembly in Youngsville, Louisiana, where it's our vision to be a place to meet with God. We pray that you will find this message to be both encouraging and empowering as we go deeper into the Word of God through Spirit-empowered, life-giving, Christ-centered ministry. For more information about First Assembly or to catch up on previous messages, you can visit our website at firstassembly.place. This morning, I get the privilege of being able to share with you. And uh, how many of you guys noticed something different around the church this morning? Anybody? Something different as you drove in the driveway? Nobody? Nobody? No? There's an ambulance, right? Okay, we'll get to that later. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But happy Mother's Day to everybody. Uh, I just want to acknowledge my mother is with us in service today. I'm not going to make her get on stage. I promised her that she would not get on stage. Um, I break promises sometimes, but not today. I'm going to let her be in the front row. I'm excited. Uh, we think that this is the first time that she's heard me preach live and in person. She watches us online every week. She's a member of our church. Uh, she's just not physically here yet. So continue to pray for that. Uh, we're believing that she's going to get here. And so this morning, our, my message is called A Call to Action. And uh, we're going to talk about what we're called to do and what that action is and how we can be prepared to do that. And so I thought, what better way to talk about that than the, to share an embarrassing story from my childhood, right? And so I remember when I was a little kid, our, our neighborhood was a little different than uh, the neighborhoods now. Like mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, they would just let us go roam the streets. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like, get on your bike and go go ride. And I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm hot. I want to come inside. For... No, no, no. I said, go ride your bike and go play. And here's a football. And I'm thirsty. Well, there's a hose. And turn the hose on. And you get a little gravel at first, but then you let your brother drink the gravel one. And then you get the clean. That's how you, if, if you don't know that, then you were the one drinking the gravel, right? And so, but you, you did that and you were outside. And I, I remember every summer we lived for summer. Uh, most of the time, or a lot of the times, it was weird. My brother's birthday would fall on the very last day of school, and then my birthday was the very first day of school. So he got the good present, and I got the torture, because I got to go back to school. But those, at the time, sorry students now, we got three months off, like June, July, and August. Now you just get June and July. I'm so sorry. I've talked to our, our representatives on the school board, and they do not care. So... Um, <laughs> One summer, I remember we were out and we were playing, and we had our group around the neighborhood. At the time, uh, we knew everybody in the neighborhood, every house. We knew who was going to be home, who was going to be there, and all this stuff. And uh, my mother still lives in that same house that we grew up in, but there's only about two families, including her, that are still in the same homes. But we had our little group, right? And we knew what to do, and we had stuff planned out for the whole summer. And one summer, my neighbor kind of cat a corner across the street, they had this two-story house. Right, And the two-story house had this huge, I think it was a tree, but it just looked like a really, really overgrown bush. Right, And so it went up to the second story, and his bedroom was right there facing the road. And this tree slash bush, whatever it was, was right there in front. And he was complaining all summer because part of summer fun is you get to sleep in. Right, You don't have to wake up at 4 a.m. to go to school. You don't have to get on the bus. You don't have to listen to You sleep in until 3 or 4 p.m., right? You just flip the, the calendar and you do And that's what we all like to do. But he had this problem and we had to solve it. There was a call to action that was necessary. He had squirrels living in this tree, right? I'm, I'm sorry, any of you squirrel lovers out there, if Chris is here, I'm sorry. This is not about gravy. It has nothing to do with that squirrel. But this squirrel had a problem, and he liked to wake up early and chirp. If you ever heard a squirrel chirp, it's aggravating. It's like it's worse than the alarm clock. 
And so he had the squirrel, and it just chirp, 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 right as his window. Just chirp, 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 making noises, driving crazy. So he came up with a plan, right? Like any good young man would, he said, we're going to get that squirrel. Now, unfortunately, we didn't have any guns or any ammunition. We had nothing, like no traps. We're like, what are we going to do? And so we start looking around. We start shaking the tree, right? This is, this is step number one. Shake the tree. Shake it. Get the squirrel to come down. And then we start thinking, well, maybe... Maybe that squirrel will get mad and come down and bite us. So we stop shaking the tree and we're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We got to get, got to get the squirrel out because we, we've got to get this done. And so we look around the ground and we, we, we look for some stuff and they, they find these like little rocks. And so we start throwing rocks at it, right? But it's really hard to hit a squirrel with a little rock because your aim's not great. And so we, we give up on the rocks and then we find it. And my neighbor finds a brick, right? It's the same size as a squirrel. The odds have increased, right? We're going to get this squirrel, and we're going to knock it out of this tree and probably off this earth, right? Like, we're going to take care of the squirrel. And so he takes it, and I remember him him just winding up, and he he just chunks the the brick. Have you ever, anybody watched, like, The Price is Right? In the game Plinko? Yeah. So trees operate like that, too. If you didn't know that, you throw the brick up there, and it just kind of starts going all over, and I'm like, are they going to win the million dollars? And I'm like looking up, and I'm not, I'm, think, I'm not thinking about gravity, and all of a sudden it hits me. Not gravity, but the brick. And it hits me right here on the head, right? And it, and it, and it cuts me open. And so I'm like eight years old, maybe, right? We're not, we're not sure what age we are. I'm pretty sure I had a concussion, so I'm not liable to know what age I actually was. My mother could not remember the age either, and I immediately did this. Because when you get hurt, right, you put your hand on it. It makes everything better. You just put your, I don't know, why, why do we do that? I don't, there's probably some scientific, like, medical, I don't know. But, like, I put my hand on it, and immediately I think, I need help, right? And so where do I run? I run to Grandma's house, because Grandma was watching me. And so I run to the house, and I'm ringing the doorbell. She's got it locked because she doesn't want us to come inside because it's hot outside, and the air conditioning's inside. The kids are outside, right? And so I'm ringing the doorbell, and I'm, like, feeling this warm sensation on my hand, and I go like this. And then I'm ringing the doorbell because my hand is covered in blood, and it's running down my arm. It's coming down my face. It's bad news. My grandma turns pale when she opens the door. She rushes me and grabs my brother and throws us in the car, and, and I'm sure before she left, she called my mom because we didn't have cell phones, right? And she rushes to the hospital. By the time we get to the hospital, mom's there. They take care of me. They put stitches in. Mom was playing peekaboo underneath the like, little, you know, the little blue tarp thing they put over top of you when they're doing stitches. And like, she's like looking under me to distract me because they're sewing my head back together, right? And, and, and I remember all of that. But the, the thing was, we have an ambulance here today. I didn't need an ambulance that day because there was a call to action. There was a need for response, and my grandmother was ready, and my mother was there first. I say all that because it's Mother's Day, right? Dad didn't respond. My brother was there. He called my mom this morning. I talked to him on the phone. He didn't help. My friends, which were all guys, they didn't help, but the moms, the grandmother and the mother They were that first physician. They were the ones, when you rode your bike and you wrecked and you scraped your knee, they were kissing boo-boos, they were putting band-aids on it, right? They were your first doctor. That's how they're wired. Dr. Lynn talked about it a little bit today. Or or maybe, uh, Sean, one of the two of you, maybe you both talked about it. But we talked about how they're more compassionate. It's just built in there. And so there was no ambulance because 
there was already a response there. There was already a need that was being met. There was a call to action, and it was responded to. Today we're talking that when there's a call to action, only those that are equipped can respond to it. Because my, my, my friends, my brother, they weren't equipped to respond to that situation. They thought I was dying. And some of them thought it was funny. Because, like, it's funny. That's a brick coming out of the tree and it hit somebody. I mean, America's Funniest Videos, if it would have been around, I could have made some money. But it didn't. Instead, you guys all get to laugh at me, and that's great. Today we're going to be looking, though, at the story out of Luke 10, 25-37. And this is the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I know most of you are very familiar with this. But I want to take a look at it as far as what we're talking about today with a call to action. And starting in verse 25, it says, On one occasion... An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And so it's an interesting story here, right? As, as is the, the, the practice, the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus into saying something that would justify their lifestyle, would justify the way that they're living and all the laws that they're following and, and, and just who they are. And so he asked a question, and I, and I don't know, maybe he was just curious, but he asked this question, and Jesus kind of says, well, what's the Scripture saying? I mean, you tell me. You ask the question, answer your own question. And he does. And he's right. You know, sometimes when we're right, we just need to stop talking. But he didn't stop talking. He said, but, but who, who's, who's my, who's my neighbor? Like, is he my neighbor? Is he, cause he didn't want everybody to be his neighbor, right? He just wanted his people to be his neighbor. He didn't want the Gentiles to be his neighbor. He wanted just his people to be a neighbor. And that's why Jesus goes into this parable and starts talking about it. And there's three characters that I think kind of give a glimpse into who Jesus has called us to be and why there was failures here. The first character is the priest. Now, the priests we know come from the line of Aaron, and they come from the Levites. And they were called to go and do ministry. This passage said he was traveling on a road between Jericho and Jerusalem. Most of the priests lived in Jericho and traveled to do their ministry in Jerusalem. So it's, it's safe to say that as this man who was robbed and beaten and left on the side of the road, he needed help. He had no supplies left. He was just there, left for dead. And we see the priest come, 
And he's doing good because he's on his way to go and do some ministry or coming back from just finishing doing some ministry. And Jesus says as that priest comes up, he sees him from a distance. And instead of walking up to him and seeing if he can assist him, he's so focused on what his task at hand is that he walks over to the other side of the road, I'm sure kind of like slyly, so like the guy doesn't notice him and just keeps on walking. Because he's so focused on what he has to do that he's forgot what he's called to do. I'm reminded of this book that I read a number of years back called Under the Overpass. And Under the Overpass is written by this Christian man who went to a church probably not too, not too, uh, like very similar to our church. He went there every Sunday. He got up. He put on his church clothes. He probably put some worship music on in the, in the cars he drove. He'd get his coffee. He'd get his bagel. He'd do his thing and he'd go to church. And he loved his church. It was a great church. And they went there every Sunday and he worshiped together and he learned about God and then he'd travel back home. In the beginning of his book, he says that he was traveling to church one day and he realized the route that he was going had a lot of homeless people panhandling on the side of the road. And so as he was going to church, it made it these awkward stops at traffic lights. Because now you have to decide, am I going to give them something? Am I not going to give them something? Am I going to make eye contact? Should I slow down just enough that I know it's going to turn green and then go, right? And we've all felt that way. It's an awkward situation, right? You don't know what to do. You want to do what's right, but you don't want to make a mistake. And so he had the solution to it. And as he was heading to church, instead of going that normal route, he created a new route. And he started to go a different route. And he would go so that he wouldn't hit any of those corners where he knew there was going to be people that he was going to have to face and make a decision. And as he was sitting in church one day, he felt God speak to him and say, you're coming to worship me, but the whole way that you were coming to worship me and coming to learn about me and coming to go and do the things that I've asked you to do, you skipped doing the things that I've asked you to do. And we're not going to talk about the book too in depth. If you want to get it and read it, it's a decent read. But, you know, he goes on because he didn't understand the need. He didn't really understand the culture we're not talking about that, that need today necessarily. God might be speaking to you about it, but he didn't understand the homeless culture and he didn't understand the need that was there and he, and he felt overwhelmed and, and because of that, he was focused on what he had to do and missed it. And so for the next six months, I believe, he, he left all of his stuff in his home and he packed a backpack and he went and lived as a homeless man for six months to get a perspective on what he was avoiding. And it changed everything. You know, now he's changed his routes and he wants to come in contact with them. And he understands what they're going through and, and, and he wouldn't pass them up. And I think of that book when I think about Jesus using this parable and talking about the priest. The priest should have been the first one to stop and help. But instead, he passed by on the other side of the road, focused on what he was doing. The second person that he talks about is the Levite. And, and, and when I read this, I had, I had to go in and, and study and make sure that I was right because, you know, the priests are Levites. And I was like, why, why is there a priest and why is there a, a Levite? Because heard, we've heard this taught. And, and I'm not saying this is some new revelation, but I, I got this understanding 
this week as I was studying is that the difference between a priest and a Levite is that every priest is a Levite, but not every Levite is a priest. And those Levites that weren't priests, they may have been called to be a priest. They may be in training to be a priest, but their job was to assist the priest. And so as you're reading through this parable, you see that the Levite comes after the priest, which would make sense now knowing that he was his helper, and he's probably following him either to ministry or from ministry. And as he's going, the story's a little bit different. And if you look in verse 32, I believe it is, it says in verse 32, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. I think there's some key words there. It says, came to the place and saw him. It didn't say that the priest came to the place. It just said the priest passed on the other side. The Levite, it would seem, walked up to the man and saw the need and then crossed and kept on going. And so it's similar, but it's different. And I thought, why would, why would this man go so far to walk up to a situation, assess it, and say, I'm good? And then walk away. That seems even more cold-hearted than to pass around it and not come close to it. Because at least if you pass by it and don't come close to it, you can lie to yourself and say, really, that wasn't that bad of a situation. I couldn't have been used. But I put myself in the Levite situation because I've been the one that's the helper. The one that's second in command or third or fourth or fifth or way down the line. And sometimes we come to a situation where God's asked us to do something, but we feel ill-equipped. And we start to tell ourselves, maybe God's sending somebody else. Maybe somebody else could do this better than, I don't want to mess it up. This person's hurt. They've been robbed. They're beaten on the road. If I do something and I do the wrong thing, I might kill them, right? And so the Levite passed by as well. And then we come to the Samaritan. And the Samaritan doesn't, doesn't pause. He doesn't, he doesn't look the other way. He doesn't cross the road. He comes up on the situation, assesses it, and begins to act. He knew that there was a call to action, and he made that response. And the first thing that you see with, with the Samaritan is that it says that he took pity on him. He had empathy for the situation. He cared. And I think that was a really key point in the, in the moment and for us. Because this Jewish man, the Pharisee, didn't care for the Gentiles. His heart didn't break for them. They weren't the chosen ones. And Jesus wanted to understand that I didn't come just for you. I didn't come just to save you people. I came to save all people. And until you get that, you really can't have a part of me. And when the Samaritan came, he had empathy and he cared and took pity. Is that not the first step when God calls us to action is to have empathy for the situation? Whatever it is. It could be a physical need, financial, it could be whatever. If you don't have empathy for the situation, if you don't care about what's going on, you're certainly not going to respond to it. And it makes it seem as if the Levite and the priest didn't care about that situation. They had other goals in mind. They were blinded by something. The second thing that you see the Samaritan do is that he prepared 
a bandage for his wounds. He didn't just have empathy, he was equipped. For whatever reason, the man had bandages on him, with him, ready. Each one of you should have a bandage now, this morning. Probably not the same bandage as him. It looks a lot like this. If you didn't get one, they're in the lobby. Get one, and we'll talk about those later. But he had a bandage with him, and he had, he had the other supplies, and he treated what he could treat. You know, I've been in situations in my life where I've come upon a situation, and, and I want to help, but I might not feel equipped, and I might not actually be equipped. I may not have prepared myself for the situation. I'm not talking Boy Scouts here to be always prepared or whatever the motto was. I didn't do real good in Scouts. You guys don't get that. But um, if you're not even a little prepared, you can't do anything. Now, this man was not completely prepared for this situation because the story goes on, and after he gets him into a stable situation, he puts bandages on him, he treats the wound, he tries to keep infection out, he probably cleans it a little bit, and he loads him on his donkey. And he takes him into town, and he finds the inn, he pulls money out of his pocket, gives it to the innkeeper, and says, take care of this man and care for him. And I'll be back. Don't spare any expense. Take care of him. Get him back to healthy. And he's not coming back because he wants a reward. He's not coming back because he wants an attaboy or he wants a pat on the back. He's, he's, he's coming back because he, he knows he's going to owe some more money. That his, his part in this is not finished. That he, he began the process. He found help to help him with the process. And he's going to come back to be able to finish the process. And you see that, that the man gets help. It's, you know, if we don't equip ourselves to respond to God's call to action, we can't respond to God's call to action. Those that aren't equipped can't respond. The ambulance is setting out front. You know, it's, it's, it's been one of those, those messages. Uh, Pastor Joe mentioned that I had shared the message with him um, when God spoke it to me. It's been a couple months of just kind of, I've adopted Pastor Joe's lingo, and he says we crockpot messages. And so God gives you a little bit, you put it in the crockpot, you let it simmer, and you come back. And it's awesome what crockpots do with food. And they do the same thing with a message. It just makes it a little, little better, a little, little mm, there's something to it, right? And so when I told him, you know, he was, he was pretty excited about it, and, and so was I. And, and I just kept on thinking about it and praying on it, thinking about it and praying on it, come back, put a little salt on it, and then close it back up and just let it go. And then last week as we did the dinner on the grounds, I was, I was talking to Karen Menard, and uh, I was just sharing with her because it's just getting to that point about a week out that I'm like, I can't keep it inside anymore. I can smell that crock pot, and it's coming on, and I just want to get to it. I want to eat it. And so I started sharing with her, and I said, man, I'm going to talk about ambulances. I know it's weird. I'm going to talk about ambulances, and I, and I don't know why I'm telling you this, but like, if, if anything pops to your mind that I could use for an illustration, just, just let me know. She's like, I don't know why you're talking to me because I don't work for an ambulance. Like, she's like looking at me weird. I'm like, I don't know either, but whatever. And like a day or two later, she, she comes to me and she's like, I found an ambulance. <laughs> and I was like, get it. <laughs> and I didn't know how, how, per, how, how perfect that ambulance was going to be. And I know as you drove in today, you saw the ambulance and probably some of you thought, 
oh no, something's going on in the church. We hadn't even started worship yet, and somebody needs an ambulance. Like, we're fired up today, right? Like, I know we're Pentecostal, but like, calm down. We'll use the ambulances after service, right? And, and as you got closer, though, you probably recognized that it, it, it doesn't look the best. It's kind of faded. It's, it's got some scratches on it, and there's some decals that have rubbed off, and, you know, we opened it up when they delivered it and looked inside, and it, it's, it's pretty bare bones. Uh, there, there's not a lot left inside of it, and it's, it's a little dirty, and there's lights, but they're stacked up inside, and they're not connected to the fuses, and, and, and Troy tried every switch to try to get something to work, and it, it didn't work. And I thought about it as they delivered it, and I was like, man, if, if we needed an ambulance today, that ain't the one. Like, if I call an ambulance and, and one of my family members is hurt, I want an ambulance. Not that. It looks like an ambulance. It doesn't really smell like an ambulance. It, it, it runs like an ambulance. But it's not really an ambulance. Because there's nothing in it. If it pulled up, hey, we don't have qualified people to drive it. There's no plates on it or insurance on it. It's a shell. But it gave a response. Not a single person walked in and didn't look at that ambulance and have a response. Nor do you drive down the road and hear an ambulance come up behind you and not respond to it. You at least pull over to the side when you hear an ambulance coming up behind you, right? We make way because they're headed to trouble. They're headed to some place that needs them and needs them more than I need to get to work or I need to get to the drive-thru or whatever. Some of us even stop and pray for that ambulance as it's traveling because we know somewhere somebody's hurting and we can't physically be there. But man, I can send my prayers along and they're tag onto that bumper and be, be flapping in the wind. And when they stop, boom, it's going to hit them right in the forehead and it's going to, it's going to, it's going to go. They don't even need the ambulance. They can just turn around and leave. And for the loved ones that called the ambulance, for those of you that have had to call an ambulance, it's a dire situation most of the time when you dial that number. It's an easy number to remember, but it feels like an eternity waiting for the help to come. And, and, you're, and you're worried inside, and you're anxious, and you, and you want help, but, but you've done everything that you can do in the situation like the Samaritan has, but you can't do anything more, and you need, you need help. There's, there's a call to action. And when that ambulance pulls up, into your driveway or onto your street, there's kind of this, this help has arrived. And when a real ambulance pulls up, a real ambulance is equipped. And it's got the trained men and women that are inside of it. It's got all the supplies in, whether it's IVs or bandages or whatever, the, the stretcher, everything. It's got all the supplies that are needed. And they come in and they act fast. And they do everything they can to bring that situation to stability. But when they bring it to stability, it's not over, is it? Because now they load them up into the ambulance. They begin to drive again. Sirens are back on, lights, everything. And where they head? They go to the hospital. Because although that ambulance is very equipped to, to do some good work and to restore some health to that person, they're not equipped to bring them the full health 
It can't end there. It can't just be that one step. It can't just stop there in your driveway and be done. You're going to go to the hospital to get the rest of the help that you need. And when they arrive, they, they, they wheel them out and they get them inside and the, the team of doctors and nurses and, and medical professionals come and they take them and they, they continue health. And, you know, it makes me think of the story. Because I know this is an end, but it's kind of like he's dropping them at a hospital. And they get their health and the ambulance doesn't come back for them, but they're able to continue get back to where they need to be. Now, I'm not the smartest man in the world, but if they use some IV fluids and bandages and supplies and everything in that ambulance to bring that patient in, if they ran right back out to another call and then ran right back out to another call and ran back out to another call, Eventually, wouldn't that ambulance begin to look like the one that's setting out in front of the warehouse? They would deplete the supplies. They would deplete everything that they need in it and the people to where it's of no use anymore. At some point, that ambulance has to stop and restock. They have to put stuff back into it. Because when God first started speaking to me about this, I, I had this, this idea or, or vision of this desolate wasteland. Just this wasteland. Nothing. No trees, no grass, no bushes, nothing. Just sand. And it was dark. It wasn't a Marvel movie. It was a DC. It was dark. Right? And you could barely see stuff except for you looked at the map and you just see these like these lights shining. And big lights every once in a while. And then you see these little pin lights just kind of going out and coming back. Like little fireflies, just going out and coming back. Going out and coming back. And I was like, okay, God, that's cool. What's that about? He said, I'm your refuge where you can come and take rest. But if you only come and take rest in me and you don't take anything back out with you, you've really not got everything that I want from you. And he said, just as an ambulance comes into a hospital where there's a major bright spot as far as health is concerned, they're very, very equipped from a lot of levels. You are my ambulance. And I want to equip you to go out into a, a hurt world and bring my light to them. And don't just bring it to them and drop it off, but bring them back to me. And when you bring them back to me, let them be with my family. Let them be restored to who I created them to be. While they're being restored, you replenish yourself and go back out and get another and come back and get another and come back. And, get and all of a sudden, I watched the map, and there's more and more fireflies, and there's more and more dots, and all of a sudden, the map started to illuminate, and life started to happen. And there was growth, and there was, there was, there was, it was good and, like, restored but the word for us today just like in this parable is if you don't have that heart we can really miss it pretty quick and I'm not just preaching to you I'm preaching to myself because we can get real busy 
That was the first obstacle, wasn't it? You know, we stay pretty busy around here. Not just to be busy, but we stay busy because we know our time is short. And we know that God's called us to a great thing. And, I, and I'm not saying for just me and the staff, like all of y'all. Like God's called us. You know, in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. James 1, 22 and 20 through 25 says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. You can read the rest of that, but do what it says. It's not enough to hear. We must put into action his words. So this message to me is kind of a, 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 a it's a charge to action. It's, it's a call to action. And we can grow weary. And we can get so caught up in, in, in the everyday that we miss it. Not by a lot. We miss it by the side of the road. You know, we've done something here as a church staff, and I encourage you guys to do I love that we're doing the 16 days of prayer, prayer for our pastors. Not just because it's for our pastors, but it gives us something as a united family and group to be praying about together. As a staff, we've, we've started to take 45 minutes to an hour every day, and it's set aside. And, we're, and we're, we've been instructed, and, and, and we do the best we can to keep our calendar completely clear, for that 45 minutes. Because we come in here into this sanctuary and we go before the throne room and we pray and ask God to speak to us. Now, we can't all make it every day. But we do the best we can. And I'm telling you, I've been on a lot of staffs in my life. It's really brought a unity to our staff. And it's amazing to see as we come together in prayer. We don't pray together. I mean, this is a big sanctuary. And there'll be one or two over there and one here and one over here and one or two over there and a couple in the back. And we're just kind of spread out across the whole thing. But then we'll come together at the end. And when we pray, it's amazing how God's like speaking the same thing. You know, we say it, but then like when it happens, we're like, you know, this last song that we sang, like, make me a vessel. Fill me. Is that not what we're talking about here? Like, fill me. I don't want me. I want to come into God's house. I don't want to just come and sing four songs and see David get excited and jump around and start, yeah, like, that's great. I love David. He's one of my, one of my best friends. But, like, I don't, I don't need to see you dance around and jump and sing. I want to see, I want to be led into worship. I don't want to come and set for two or three songs and then be like, okay, now God's presence is here and enter in. I want to come into this house expecting God to move and I want him to speak directly to my spirit, to my heart, to my mind. Because if I speak to myself, I'm less than worthless. I know what I do. I know what I represent. You know what? If we don't come and 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 offer ourselves like that in the last song that make me a new vessel, cleanse me, empty me, and fill me with, with who you are. What are we doing? I have lots of music like apps that I can put on my phone and just listen to music. And I've got tons of podcasts I can listen if I just want to have somebody talk at me for 30, 45 minutes. I come 
to this family, to this church, not because I'm on staff, because I know God's presence resides here, and I know God wants to speak to us, and I know he wants to fill you up with stuff. Not that you can go home and sit and say, hmm, that's good, let me journal that down. No, so you can go out into your community and that you can resent, you can represent his light to people that I'm not going to see, that you're not going to see, that only I'm going to get the people that come into my life. When people look at you, when you're walking around the community, do they see an ambulance? Do they see Jesus on you? Do they represent, do they recognize his presence? If I see an ambulance, I pull over. I respond. I respond to that ambulance every time I see one. Shane was telling me this morning as they drove in, they saw an ambulance coming down Verot School Road with the lights on, and he convinced Shelly that it was part of my sermon. (laughs) It absolutely was. I'm that good. No, I'm not. But they recognized it. They noticed it. I want people to know. I want them to see something in me. I want them to see that hope for the hopeless. I want to see that light into a dark place. I don't want to just go and not like have a response. I want Jesus to be oozing out of me. And that's what Jesus wanted for these Pharisees. He wasn't trying to embarrass them. I don't think Jesus was trying to embarrass these men or try to tell them how smart he was and how stupid they were. He loved them. He wanted the, the light to turn on and for them to get it. So as we close this time of our message, I want to pray for you guys. Not just for the mothers. For everybody. I Honestly, I think this message is easier for our mothers to re- receive than it is for us guys. I think there's something iner- in, inherently in them that they want to respond to those that are hurting. To those that need help. But I think we all can use a little boost. I want to change our perspective. Maybe it's already your perspective, but I just want to take another step closer, another step and get a little bit more because I don't want to step foot in this in this place. Elaney's going to bring fire on, on Wednesday. Like, I'm believing it. I got to go be with the Rangers. And I love my Ranger boys, and I'm going to be teaching the word to them, but there's going to be a part of me that wants to be over here and hear what she has to say because Pastor Joe's not just putting people up on a pulpit to preach because he's filling time. He's putting people up on a pulpit to preach because he wants to change your lives and help you to change other lives. That's what we're about. So I'm going to pray for all of you. And as, as I pray, once I close the prayer, I'm going to invite our, our usher team to come up. And, and not just the moms, but every lady in the place. We have these carnations up here. We've spread them across the, the altar. If you would come as the worship team plays and receive just a small gift from the church just to honor you. It's not, not much, but just to... to to honor you, and before we pray, you know, I do these little things, and you can do it. You're not going to offend me. If you want to actually use this, go ahead and use it. Free Band-Aid for you. We spared no expense. It was 98 cents per 60. <laughs> but I love these little things. They, they, they remind me of what God's speaking. And so, you know, maybe you stick it someplace on a mirror, someplace that reminds you. And every time you see it, am I prepared? Do I have that bandage? Can I respond to that call of action? And so put it someplace or stick it on you. I just want to provide that for you. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for being such a good God. Lord, for loving us 
and seeing us, Lord, for who we are in you, not for who we are. Lord, that when we were beat up and robbed and, and stripped and thrown on the side of the road dying, Lord God, that you send help. Lord, that you see that, that need for a call to action, Lord, and you call somebody to us. Lord, that when I was in the darkness, Lord, when I was away from you and I didn't even know who you were, Lord, that you sent somebody. You sent somebody into my life to start to repair and bandage my, my hurt, broken life and to bring me into your your house, Lord God, to bring others, Lord, into relationship. Lord, did thou bring me here into Youngsville, Lord, where I have hundreds of people that can pray for me and, and, and help me along the journey as I help them. Lord, let us come into your house, Lord, with an expectation of meeting with you and you giving us something new and fresh, Lord, to be able to pour back out into our community, to change lives and bring them back into your family so that you can continue to repair their hearts and their lives. Lord, I look forward to the testimonies that are going to come out of these people represented here, Lord God. Lord, we love you so much. We pray this all in your blessed name. We hope that you found this message to be both a blessing as well as challenging. If you would like more information or to leave a comment or prayer request, please visit our website at firstassembly.place. Thank you for tuning in to First Assembly, a place to meet with God.